Welcome to the Parents Place podcast with Hillary and Jen. podcast today guys we're excited to have you here we have a special guest with us today um katie brown and i'll be honest i'm real excited for this i really am so as as you viewers know if you're regular viewers um listeners jen and i have both taught parenting education for many years at this point we've also done some in-home parenting education as well too as part of that process and this is an area that I feel like as an educator, you get a lot of questions about mm-hmm. um, how to best handle my child who has oppositional defiant disorder. And it's hard because oftentimes these parents are the parents that kind of are at their wits end mm-hmm. <laughs> and are the ones that tend to say to us, we've done everything. Nothing works. Mm-hmm. Uh, help me out, please. <laughs> There's so many times, yeah, there's so many times where they say, oh, you know, you're asking a parent, um, does your child have any diagnoses and things like that? And they're like, ODD. And inside, I'm just like, oh, no, that's so hard. It's hard as a parent. I think it's hard Mm -hmm. as an educator to come up with some skills and techniques Mm -hmm. that will work for them. And so that's that's why we have you here, my dear. You're going to educate us. Well, thanks for having me. So let me first turn it over to you, Katie, and you can tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, and and then we'll dive into the topic itself. Go ahead. Great. Well, my name is Katie Brown. I'm an assistant professor up at Utah State University. Um, I'm also co-director of the Behavior Support Services Clinic that's up there in their Sorensen Center. And our clinic specializes in assessing and treating challenging behaviors mm-hmm. of individuals um, who both have behavior disorders as well as those who may have intellectual or developmental disabilities. Okay. Um, I uh, did all of my graduate training in the state of Nebraska, at the University of Nebraska Omaha and the University of Nebraska Medical Center. That's where I got my master's and my PhD. Perhaps not surprising, I specialized in the assessment and treatment of severe problem behavior. Um, and then I'm currently a licensed behavior analyst and a licensed clinical mental health counselor in the state of Utah. Okay. Those sound so hard. <laughs> <laughs> just thinking, I just don't, I, I'm just thinking of hard behaviors all day long. <laughs> <laughs> but we're so glad we have individuals like you in yes. our community that we can turn to. Yes. During those times where we're like, there's nothing. Yes. There's nothing. Like, I'm not do. the right person for you, but now I know where I can <laughs> send that. The right person is. <laughs> you know, the fun <laughs> part of my job is no day is the same. That, you may see the true. same thing every day, but they're going to throw something new every day. Figuratively so, or literally. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've joked before in this podcast that that is both the blessing and the curse of parenting is that Mm -hmm. every child is different Mm -hmm. and there is not a one and done prescription on how to help a child because what will work for one kid will definitely not work for another. And so it's this this idea of constantly experimenting and evaluating and switching things that aren't working Mm -hmm. and that's the nature of the beast. A hundred percent. What we do. So that's parenting in a nutshell. That's why we love it. And that's why we pull our hair out at the same time. (laughs) 
So let's start at the beginning. So we mentioned oppositional defiant disorder, which oftentimes is referred to as ODD. Yep. So tell us a little bit about what this is, um, maybe signs associated with it. Yep. Go yep. ahead. So ODD is generally a pattern of angry, defiant, or irritable behavior that lasts for at least six months. Mm -hmm. So if you have a child with ODD, you might see signs like them losing their temper easily, being angry, resentful, um, arguing with authority figures, actively defying rules or requests that are asked of them, deliberately annoying others, or even <laughs> blaming others for their mistakes. Now, it's worth saying here, if we're being honest, we all have days when yeah. some of these things might like, apply check, to us. Check and double yes, check. Yeah, yes, right? <laughs> like we have moments when we become angry or irritable with our loved ones. And so um, what makes these behaviors really rise to this level of oppositional defiant disorder is the frequency mm. and the intensity of the behaviors. And those frequency and intensity are reaching this threshold that we wouldn't predict for a child that's that age mm -hmm. or that mm. developmental level. The other key piece is that those behaviors are negatively impacting that individual being mm. successful. So perhaps they're having a hard time making or maintaining relationships, being successful at school, being able to integrate into some of those community settings. Mm. Those would all be some of the signs that, again, this has reached that threshold. Mm. Um, I appreciate the fact that we kind of have, have this, you, you mentioned that six month, you know, over a period of time, because I think you're right. There's going to be times where we have bad days. There's going to be times where kids have bad days. And there's also going to be times in a child's life where maybe they're going through a transition, yep. uh, you know, mm -hmm. and the reality is, is they may not be acting their, their self right. during that time frame. But I, I think it's important for parents to understand that this isn't just they've been acting like a beast for the past week. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is a continual recurring behavior. Because transitions, you already always have that. Exactly. You know, they revert to old behaviors. Mm -hmm. But once they get into the flow of things, they're, it doesn't, that's not an issue for them anymore. In that six month period of time, those kids that are in transition will have already come back yeah. to where they're at yeah. before that six mm -hmm. months is up. Yeah. So I'm curious on, because I'm thinking about kids and I'm thinking about typical development and with a lot of younger kids who quite haven't obtained all of their language, you know, the vocabulary to uh, speak their feelings and being able to process that, it comes across as aggression. Mm -hmm. So when when is this usually diagnosed? Is there a typical age when we tend to diagnose kids with ODD? Yes, there's not like a, a hard, this is the age, but you yeah. tend to see it, you know, in early childhood mm -hmm. in general. That's where you're you're probably going to start seeing perhaps the, the diagnosis emerge. Okay. And, and statistically speaking, do we tend to see more males than females? Is there a pattern at all? We statistically do see more males than okay. females. And um, often kind of the way the the child presents might vary based on whether or not it's a male or female. Uh -huh. So those are things going to a mental health um, professional who has okay. some specialty in that they're really going to be able to, to pick up on some of those differences, perhaps. Okay. And and I've, I've met a lot of families and, and worked with a lot of children that have kind of had a multi-diagnosis ODD as well as ADHD or maybe even autism, do you tend to see it linked to other diagnoses as well too? Yeah, so we do sometimes see that ADHD and ODD go hand in hand. So okay. what this means is that a certain percentage of individuals that have ADHD will also have a diagnosis of ODD. 
Um, and when we think about these diagnoses, you kind of already hit on it. They have this underlying theme, which is opposition. Yeah. So with ADHD, we often see opposition to instructions or activities that require that individual to um, engage in an activity that has sustained effort hmm. um, or sustained attention. And those often tend to be the situations where we see some of that opposition. Whereas with oppositional defiant disorder, you tend to see that they're oppositional most of the time, regardless okay. of what of what's really being asked hmm. or the context. But because oppositional defiant, uh, oppositional behavior is kind of this underlying theme of several childhood disorders like ADHD, mm -hmm. as well as autism, it's important to, again, work with a mental health professional who can help you really sort mm -hmm. out if it one of these or perhaps you have several kind of coexisting mm -hmm. um, presentations. Okay. I mean, in our office, we talk a lot about trauma. We're a, tra mm -hmm. we're a trauma-informed center. Mm -hmm. A lot of what we do, you know, our trauma-informed techniques, do you see trauma? play a role in this as well? Yeah. I mean, you guys know, you know, being a trauma-informed center, uh -huh. like trauma isn't one-dimensional. Mm -hmm. And so this is such a kind of like complex situation. But what we do know is that certain social, environmental, and interpersonal factors can be tied to ODD. So mm -hmm. for social factors, things like um, unstable home conditions where there might be a succession of different caregivers or okay. um, unstable economic conditions. Those mm -hmm. things can be tied to oppositional defiant disorder. Um, environmental variables like um, harsh or inconsistent or neglectful parenting practices mm -hmm. can be tied to oppositional defiant disorder. And then um, interpersonally for that individual, if they experience, you know, kind of some direct trauma, something like physical abuse, those mm -hmm. things can lead to difficulties regulating their emotions and mm -hmm. behaviors. Okay. So yeah, it's kind of multifaceted. Um, is this a fairly new diagnosis or has this been around for a while? I'm just thinking about kind of how the world of autism has, they've shifted in how they view it and how mm -hmm. they diagnose. I mean, have you seen that? Yeah. So ODD as well. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to call myself young. Um, <laughs> you are young. I'm, I'm, I've been practicing for 10 years. And so I speak within my 10 years yes. of experience. Yes. Um, I, I think one thing that's really interesting is there is a lot of research um, that's looking at the potential genetic um, contributions mm. to disorders mm. like this and how some disorders um, like oppositional defiant disorder are tied to other conditions that we know are genetic, like ADHD. Yeah. And yeah. so as we see other conditions start to increase, like mm -hmm. ADHD, are you going to see kind of this co-increasing, um, increasing these other disorders? And so I think that's an area that a lot of um, people are kind of looking at. Okay. I'm just, I, I appreciate the fact that we are starting to learn more about mm -hmm. uh, these different diagnoses because I, I can remember, like I said, I don't think I'm that old either, <laughs> but I can still remember back in elementary school, we didn't have, we didn't have this vocabulary. We didn't yeah. have these words. Yeah. And so when you'd see a child that was struggling with, you know, focusing in class or, yeah. or focusing on making friends mm -hmm. or an aggressive child, you just called them a hard kid. Right. Mm -hmm. They were a really hard kid, mm -hmm. you know, and everybody knew who the hard kid was. And usually the answer to the hard kid was that they had to sit in the back of the class mm -hmm. away from everybody mm -hmm. else. And so I love the fact that we're exploring these different areas yeah. to say, here's why, here's what we can do. You mm -hmm. know, here's the things that help. Here's the things that don't. Right. Right. I'm trying to think back to the first family I worked with. Um, and it's probably been, 15 years ago yeah. that I worked with this family 
And he, that it was the first time I ever heard of ODD. Mm-hmm. And I went to the therapist at the, in the office and said, what is this? I don't know what this yeah. is. And she explained it to me, but it was super hard because mm-hmm. of the fact that the techniques that I had been taught and trained and the curric- curriculums we use and whatnot, it was like, it wasn't helping at all. Mm-hmm. And this was middle class family, two parent household. If I remember right, there was no abuse. And so Mm -hmm. I'm like, I I have no idea on what to do. And so I'm so glad that this has gone further and we can have some information now of what to do. I think in general, as our our culture in the last several decades Mm -hmm. has started to shift away from kind of the stigma of mental or behavioral Mm -hmm. health concerns you start to see kind of this greater recognition and what once you know would have been the naughty kid Mm -hmm. exactly is now you know there's now a recognition of there's some Uh behavioral health concerns there's a reason yeah and so Mm -hmm. i think you know that part of that prevalence problem is is this greater awareness and greater understanding and acceptance Mm -hmm. you know versus a greater a greater prevalence so I think that's where we want to focus our time on is kind of what, what works with these kids. Mm -hmm. But before we dive into that, um, you know, you, you mentioned some of these signs, you mentioned that this is kind of a reoccurring problem throughout their day, not necessarily pinpointing one particular topic. If there is a parent out there that's like, yes, yes, and definitely yes. Um, where's the first step that they should go to maybe potentially look at seeing if this is, you know, getting that diagnosis. So be careful with Dr. Dr. Google. Um, <laughs> the website is like our, our worst enemy and our best friend sometimes. Um, so I think you, a good first step would be um, touching base with your child's pediatrician. Okay. They're going to be a reliable source mm-hmm. to um, help you kind of um, discern whether or not you should seek um, professional input. And they also probably are going to be a really kind of good gatekeeper to help direct you to some good community yes. resources in your area. Okay, because I'm assuming we can't just walk up, let's say, to the university. Like, would you need a referral for a process like that? How would that work? No, most most mental health uh, professionals, you wouldn't need a referral okay. for something like that. Um, you would be able to just make a um, an appointment to get um, an evaluation. Okay, to look at perfect. Like but given the fact that most parents know their pediatrician and know them well, mm-hmm. that's probably the most comfortable first step. Yeah, yeah. There. I think because you have a relationship, and if you're kind mm-hmm. of you know, on the fence, you're wondering, that might be kind of a, a good, reliable source. Okay. If you're that parent at home, you're like there's no question like check the box check the box yeah then yep go ahead and find a mental health um provider in your area and and make an appointment okay perfect and i'm assuming that process i I, and this might be specific to our area versus outside areas um that process would there be a fee applied to that is there a long time frame a waiting list all the things that parents are concerned about um my answer is going to be super great. It depends on your insurance company, if you okay. have insurance, what their requirements okay. are. It also um, can really vary based on the area. So um, often insurance companies have contracts with certain providers mm-hmm. that make them in-network, out-of-network. So then like for wait list, are the providers that are in-network with your insurance company, do they okay. have long wait lists? Mm-hmm. And so all of that, unfortunately, can be really challenging to kind of navigate and vary quite a bit depending on the family. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's okay. I, I think the 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 key, the first step for parents is just to understand to find that site. You know, start with that pediatrician, or if you do know, you know where to go, start there because you guys are the experts. You know the logistics when it comes to insurance and providers and 
we don't necessarily need to have all those answers because there will be people there that know those answers. Yep. yep. When you call us. someone, you just you make sure to ask <laughs> and they can help help kind of navigate that insurance process. Okay. Perfect. Then let's dive into those helpful techniques for parents. What tends to work and what doesn't work that we should avoid? <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I think um, in general you you tend to hear as a recommendation is minimizing attention for kind of the negative behaviors, the unwanted behaviors that you don't want. And I think in general for most kids and most behaviors, that is a wonderful yes. recommendation, mm -hmm. right? Yes. So you're basically ensuring that um, the, the child's only getting attention for the behaviors mm -hmm. that you want to see mm -hmm. more of mm -hmm. um, and not getting any type of positive feedback for the behaviors that you don't want to see more of. With individuals with oppositional defiant disorder, um, these behaviors can rise to this threshold of being too big or too risky to use a strategy like minimizing their attention right. for them. And so um, if the family is in a therapeutic relationship um, with a provider, the best course of action is going to be to follow whatever that provider has mm -hmm. individualized for that child in the family. But let's say, for example, a family um, has yet to get into one of those therapeutic relationships. Um, there are some general recommendations that I might make in those situations. So first, parents should consider using a give in early and often technique. Mm. Say that again. Mm. You want to give in early and often. And what I mean by this is there's often early warning signs before those big behaviors. Yes. And those warning signs might vary based on your kid. But you might see things like yelling or defiance or some more minor forms of prom behavior. And so using that give in early and often technique would mean that you're going to go ahead and give into those behaviors when they're at that lower level mm -hmm. as a way to prevent them from escalating up to those big risky behaviors. And the, the given often part of it is just meaning that you're going to use that really consistency. So consistently. So if there's 10 opportunities to use it, you want to go ahead and use it 10 out of 10 times again, because that's going to help you kind of prevent from getting up to that really high um, risky or dangerous behavior. The next thing I strongly encourage family is families is if you haven't already developed a behavior crisis plan, go ahead and develop one. Okay. Um, this varies what this might look like, but in general, things that families might want to consider are what local resources are available to help mm -hmm. them. Um, so if the child does escalate to a point that the, the caregiver is concerned about the child's safety, um, maybe other family members' safety or other people who are in the vicinity's safety, what's going to be your go-to for that local emergency resource? Um, it could be a local mental health provider, it could be your local emergency room, it could be the police department, who, who is going to be there to kind of help you in this situation. The other thing families might consider is um, kind of looking at the greater family dynamic. And so if you are a parent and you have multiple children, so how are you going to kind of navigate helping that child that's having a behavior crisis while also being able to kind of separate your other children mm -hmm. um, to keep them safe and, and who else might, might need to be called in to help care, um, caretake for those children. The last thing that I would say is if you have any concern about your child um, engaging in aggression and using any sort of weapon that they could get mm -hmm. access to in the home, go ahead and remove those weapons from the home if you can or make sure they're locked up. Okay. I think of that give in and give in often. Okay. I always talk to parents about catching the behavior when mm -hmm. it's small. Mm -hmm. And yes, that requires you to be 
paying attention a lot exactly. to what your kids are Maybe doing. Maybe a little bit more vigilant than mm -hmm. we tend to be. But I always refer it to the game on the Price is Right with the little Swiss guy going up the, the mountain <laughs> and then he falls off. And I talk about how all in this area we have time to stop that drop off. Yeah. And that's where we need to pay the closest attention because we don't want them to drop off the side <laughs> of the mountain, right. the big behavior. Right. And so right. really paying attention, being that feelings detective of, yeah. I see when you have this behavior, I see this in your body, your um, words, whatever it may be, that I know this is going to start to increase. Right. Right. That's really being attentive. Yeah. 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 So. I want you to expound on that a little bit because I can I, I can envision a lot of parents listening and saying, wait, hold on, <laughs> I'm giving in yeah. to negative behaviors. Yeah. So can you give us maybe an example of what that might look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so and that's, that's exactly it, right? Like if there's parents that are listening to this and thinking you want me to do what? That, that you're right. Like, so again, this give in early and give in often technique is to prevent escalation uh -huh. of the severe behavior. This isn't going to be a long-term therapy technique and help, um, you know, your child learn the skills that they need to, to um, really kind of advance in any of the areas that they need to. This is really just, I would consider it like a, a safety procedure. Mm -hmm. Your goal is to optimize your child's safety mm -hmm. and the safety of those around your child. Okay. Um, and so chances are once you maybe get into a therapeutic relationship or the child gets into that therapeutic relationship, that provider might push on it, right? So we go back to the analogy of the little man going, mm -hmm. going up. They, um, the provider might have you guys go all the way up, all the way up, all the way up. But in a controlled setting, you're going to be able to kind of tip mm -hmm. the, the little man over the edge in a way that's safe mm -hmm. for everybody. And so mm -hmm. it's not that the child's always going to stay in this kind of space or the caregiver's always going to have to stay in this space where you're constantly giving in. See, see it as really kind of the safety emergency band-aid to shut this behavior down from getting to a point that someone's going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're not necessarily envisioning parents saying, you can do whatever you want because I don't want to deal with that. Right. And, and using that as our, as our tool forever and always. Correct. No. Okay. No. I think that's important yes. for parents to be like, wait a second. Yeah. I'm supposed to give in and let them just have the rule of the roost. <laughs> yes. No. no. Yeah. So I'm assuming you would make the suggestion for anyone that has a child with ODD that they do work with a mental health expert. I mean, is this something that we can maneuver on our own? Or should we always have that as a resource to us? Yeah. So um, in general, it's going to be really, really beneficial. So for individuals who maybe have more mild to moderate forms of oppositional defiance disorder, mm -hmm. they, they might kind of grow out of it, so to speak, um, as they age. But for individuals who have more severe forms of oppositional defiant disorder, um, not working with a therapist and kind of intervening is likely just to kind of evolve into other serious concerns like okay. anxiety or depression or conduct disorder. And so um, it's always a good kind of safe option to go ahead, connect with a mental health okay. professional. They can help you kind of determine severity as well as if there are additional supports that okay. are needed. Um, you said a word that I think for a lot of parents is maybe a magic word and that is, or a magic phrase. And you mentioned that Sometimes they grow out of it. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so really, uh, this is just um, with the individuals who have more mild to moderate mm -hmm. forms. And so um, typically more mild to moderate means that it's really 
um, isolated to one setting. Typically. Okay. Um, and so it, it's possible not every kid who has a more mild to moderate form of obsessional defiant disorder is going to grow out of it, but it's possible mm -hmm. that, again, if it's isolated to one setting, kind of one really specific scenario, that they might, um, you know, kind of naturally figure out along the way the skills that they need that are going to help kind of decrease the problematic mm -hmm. behaviors and, and they're going to use those more adaptive or functional skills. Um, but it's also a chance that they might not. And so, again, when in, when in doubt, you know, just connecting with someone who can really help you determine mm -hmm. um, what that what that support needs okay. to look like. Can you give us some typical, you, you mentioned in certain settings, can you give us like just some examples of what those settings might be? Yeah, so for example, if you, um, if there's a child who only presents, um, you know, kind of all the signs and symptoms we talked about earlier with oppositional defiant disorder, and the caregivers only ever see it in home. School doesn't see it, okay. community agencies don't see it. Mm -hmm. It really kind of tells, you know, us providers, like there's there's something really kind of unique about the home setting that's going mm -hmm. on. These behaviors aren't pervasive. They're not kind of all across the kid's day, regardless of who they're with or where they're at. There's really kind of something unique to the home here. So let's okay. let's dig in and figure out what's, what is unique about the situation mm -hmm. and, and how we treat that. Okay. So let's talk about treatments. Uh, are we talking behavioral treatments? Are we talking potential medications? What does that look like for, for most individuals? Yeah, so one thing that I think is really important to know is that oppositional defiant disorder is a title or mm -hmm. label. Mm -hmm. um, it's useful in being able to allow us to communicate to other people you know, fairly quickly the type of behaviors that the individual might engage in um, and really kind of what's preventing them from becoming their most successful version of themselves. Mm -hmm. But it is, um, it's treatable. It's with intervention, you would expect that those behaviors would go down and that okay. that title or the label would no longer be appropriate. There really isn't a one size fits all intervention for oppositional defiant disorder. Um, treatment forms often take the form of uh, parent behavior management mm -hmm. training, could be school-based interventions, individual child therapy or family child therapy. Okay. But for a parent that's saying, let's just get a medication, that's not necessarily the cure-all for this yeah disease. yeah I don't um I don't know of any research that says that you know there's here's this magic pill yeah. Um, yeah. right I think if there was like every parent in the world would be like up right I'm done <laughs> uh, yeah so no I think again working with a mental health um professional they're they're concerned that perhaps you know for example um if you have a child who has ADHD and ODD uh -huh. and they're not on a medication the mental okay. health professionals likely to refer mm -hmm. you over to someone who um, can prescribe a medication or do an assessment for medication to kind of help with some of the other symptoms. And okay. so um, some of the complexity in there, you're, you might have a child with ODD who ends up on a medication and, and that's that's good and that's mm -hmm. okay. You might have some that aren't. Yeah. So I have the yodeler still in my head, Jen. <laughs> I have the visual. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, as, as parents are one of our roles and responsibilities is to be that that vigilant parent to be that attentive parent so that we can uh, prevent some of that but I'm thinking in a school setting mm -hmm. where you have a teacher that has 30 students mm -hmm. and may not be able to be that attentive uh, let's talk about what what this could potentially look like in a school setting and and are there things that that help things that you can suggest to teachers things that teachers already are doing that should be implemented in that environment good question so um one key piece in the treatment and management of oppositional defiant disorder is positive reinforcement mm -hmm. and so um if you know we're kind of regardless of where this kid is at that's going to be a really big key piece okay. of it 
um, for parents that are kind of navigating this, again, depending on the, the, the child and kind of their unique needs and supports, um, IEPs and 504 uh -huh. plans can be great ways to kind of establish um, what it is that the child could benefit from support-wise in the school. Um, and that whole process can be overwhelming mm -hmm. um, and intimidating. Like, you know, you sit like at a table with like eight people mm -hmm. and you're like, I don't understand what we're talking about and I like have to sign this paper. And so um, there are some really great local resources and state resources for families to just like call, ask questions. I don't understand this. Um, you know, how do I navigate this process? And those, most of them are free too, which is wonderful. Okay. Oftentimes do they find that we can provide them with an additional aid? Does that help? Um, so one-on-one -on -one aids are always really helpful, yeah. um, kind of regardless of the support need. It just really depends on what this, the school's policies are mm -hmm. and the, the individual child. Rein, a positive reinforcement is going to be it's the key. Is, is going to be the key, and so um, making sure that they have frequent opportunities to contact positive reinforcement. Okay. And is specific versus general positive reinforcement important? So, in general, we always say use um, descriptive. Mm -hmm. Be be specific. Mm -hmm. um, it's not going to hurt. Are there some kids that you know? I've I've had plenty of patients in my time where like we're that's an amazing job the way you did this and this and this and they're like they look at me and they're like shut up right? <laughs> like they didn't like that and so then it's like okay I need to back off and, like, in. <laughs> and so um in general start with descriptive it's great it shows the kid that you're you're paying attention you see them you know exactly what they did but watch for signs that they don't like that that was mm -hmm. too much okay. that was over the top and then you can kind of scale it back okay um one of the hardest things I think for myself or any parent out there is the eyes of other parents, mm -hmm. the stigma, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm thinking, I'm thinking going back to that first technique of the given, um, given early and often, and, and I can see <laughs> these parents, you know, having the plan set out, but then also having other parents yeah. look at them and say, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, don't yeah. let them have that. Yeah. This is where the problem lies is you. And so yeah. what does that, I, I can, I, I see that being a huge deal with yeah. this. Do you notice that? And, and yeah. what can parents do? Yeah. So this is one of my big takeaways. If I, yes. if I had a takeaway for a parent. So nobody understands what it's like to parent an oppositional and defiant child. Yeah until you have one. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. The feelings of exhaustion, isolation, guilt, mm -hmm. sadness, they can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So often I hear parents say things like, I feel like a bad mom. Mm -hmm. I feel like a bad dad. I failed as a parent or I, I just can't do this anymore. Like I, I'm at the end of my rope. And so, um, you know, if you are a parent and you are in that place, just know that you're not alone and the things that we tell ourselves or that people mm -hmm. are telling us, mm -hmm. they are not true mm -hmm. and they are not helpful. And, and so, behind their door, yeah. there's yuckiness <laughs> too. <laughs> yes, yes. So parenting right is arguably one of the hardest things that we do as adults and even more so if you're a parent of a child who needs extra supports. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that I always like to tell parents is, um, you know, you walk on this journey right next to your child. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as you walk on this journey next to your child, find a support network, find some self-care activities that can help you navigate this journey because you're on it too. Mm -hmm. You're right there alongside them. So it's not a weakness to ask for help and take care of yourself. 
and more often than not, it's a necessity. Mm -hmm. Well, especially when you refer to that safety plan, yeah. where there might be times where, you know, I need to take this child this place, which means that a different adult is going to need to intervene. And yeah. so we need those adults, yeah. those adults that we trust, that know our situation and know us and know our child and have our best interests in mind. Exactly. Just thinking we need to create a t-shirt that says, I try my best. Yeah. <laughs> if you can do better, I'll let you have enough have them for a night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do parents tend to find that with 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 teachers with coaches as well too that same stigma or or is it better i i think the stigma is there i think it depends on you know at the end of the day we're all human and i think yeah. humans who have come in contact with other humans yes. on this path tend to have more mm -hmm. compassion mm -hmm. um and understanding and so again i think just being able to kind of like even there's we are our own harshest critics mm -hmm. and our own thoughts and um criticisms get bad us and so just kind of like repeating like this is this is not true and this mm -hmm. is not helpful uh, it's it's much easier said than done mm -hmm. um, um one of the hardest situations that i think both you and i have been and i'm speaking on behalf of you right now but in the <laughs> education realm is is when we do have a child that has got into that mm -hmm. aggression level where either they're hurting themselves mm -hmm. maybe potentially hurting somebody else maybe destroying property, um, when it gets to that point, which I'm assuming it does quite often mm -hmm. with a child with ODD, um, besides having like that, obviously having that safety plan in action, are there any steps that we should take to ensure the safety of, of our child, but also all of ourselves? Yeah, so I think um, I think the, the biggest thing is going to be looking at what type of environment you mm -hmm. need to create for mm -hmm. safety. Um, and so, you know, if you have a, a child who's escalated, like, don't bring them into the kitchen where there's yes. sharp objects, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. like, right? So um, often, like, you know, if you're looking for a safe space in your own home, I think mm -hmm. um, spaces that aren't going to have a lot of um, items that can be used as weapons or could be destroyed or thrown, mm -hmm. um, and that really kind of give this individual their own space, if at all possible, um, without having other, other children or students around. Okay, that's a great suggestion. Is knowing, like, kind of coming up with your pre-plan of like where where that spot needs to be within our home, mm -hmm. if that is the case, and with the school setting, can we advocate on behalf of something like that in the school too? It depends on the school. Um, so I think with schools, the kind of the overarching thing is the the teacher's responsibility is to be there and to teach and to provide yeah. an education and. You know, when you've got a, a student or students that have behavior concerns, that can be kind of interfering. And so ultimately, I think the question between parents and between the school needs to be, what supports can we put in place? Because ultimately, mm -hmm. even the student with a behavior concern has a right yes. to, to learn. To learn. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we need to find what supports need to be put into place to help this learner stay in the classroom where mm -hmm. they can learn and be successful without compromising the other student's mm -hmm. ability to be safe or to learn. And what that looks like is going to vary widely based mm -hmm. on um, the resources that the school has. Um, but every every learner, including the child with the behavior concerns, has the right to learn. And so we have to find some type of compromise and middle ground for kind of what that looks like and what supports can help mm -hmm. that, that child learn. Okay. I'm wondering, I'm trying to think of, because I worked at a school right after I got out of college as a resource teacher or the refocus teacher. 
and that's where they would bring all of the hard kids was down in my room of here you go mm -hmm. yeah it can very it can vary so widely kids could end up in resource rooms um they could end up kind of in separate spaces they could end up in the principal's office mm -hmm. and so um it can it can really vary i think one thing that even in the last 10 years, I think we see a much um, greater understanding, even within educational systems, is the need for behavior specialists. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and so I think I think that's really promising, and I think that you'll continue to see that growth in the next yeah. five, 10 years will be greater awareness and, and more supports for, for kids that need it in school. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So you mentioned uh, your the takeaway of kind of debunking that stigma and how parents mm -hmm. can... Um, to combat that any other final takeaways you would offer to parents yeah so another thing i think i would encourage parents um, who have a child diagnosed with odd is to increase their awareness on their own emotions and how their emotions mm -hmm. could be um, influencing how they respond to their child so every parent all of us have emotions to these big behaviors right mm -hmm. guilt anger sadness exhaustion yes. um, these emotions in and of themselves they're not a bad thing right but it's important for us to keep an eye out on how our emotions may be influencing how we respond or what type of parenting strategies we pick when we're coming yeah. from these emotional places so for example when you're feeling mad is your parenting strategy to get loud yeah. and argue back and try to take control and to win the argument that's happening in the house versus if you feel exhausted and you're at the end of your rope. Mm -hmm. You avoid actively yeah. engaging with your child just, mm -hmm. just to get through the day, right? Just to get through the day. So I challenge parents just to start increasing um, your awareness of your own emotions and these big moments and how these emotions are either moving you closer to mm -hmm. what you want in that relationship with your child or moving you farther away from it. I think the, the last big takeaway that I, I would have is don't forget to praise and reward your child for the things that they are doing well. As I mentioned earlier, positive reinforcement is the key in the treatment and management of ODD. So more so than ever, you want to be very generous and rich with the amount of positive reinforcement that you do. These rewards can be um, things like the excited positive praise that we talked about. They could be um, new toys or activities that they're earning. They can also just be a reinvention of normal daily activities, right? So this could be uh, the kid gets to build a fort to sleep in mm -hmm. 10 nights instead of having to sleep in the bed. Or it could be getting to stay up an extra hour instead of going to bed or an extra 15 to 30 minutes on their favorite electronic. All of those things um, don't take a lot of time. They're not really money intensive. Yeah. Um, so th those can work as rewards. Ultimately, you just want to find out what is your child motivated to earn and make sure that they get lots of that praise and access to that fun thing for the behaviors that you do want. Even if it's just a tiny little glimpse of the behavior you want, take it, mm -hmm. reward it, and then you'll see more of it in the future. What happens when you have that parent that says, my, my child is not motivated, motivated by, by anything. anything. We've heard that they before as well, They don't care about too. anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is like a hallmark of oppositional defiant disorder. We see this all the time in the clinic where, you know, we're trying to find something that that, that, that one individual is really motivated for. And they're like, um, I know what you're up to and I don't like anything. I'm not going to mm -hmm. engage with anything. Um, as a parent, call the bluff. Even if they're not going to watch, if they're not going to tell you, watch. What are they doing spending their time when the free activity time that they have after dinner? Mm. See what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and you might see that uh, as you, you know, let's say you're like, oh, you can earn extra this for 
um, you know, some of these behaviors, they might push back on you, right? That's part of the opposition. They might say, I don't care. I don't, I, I'm not motivated for that. That's okay. Just look for kind of new, unique things. Don't engage in kind of the argument or the opposition. Just look for new, unique things that um, you think they are, right? Like as mom, dad, you're the expert on yeah. them. Um, it could be certain food items that are really mm-hmm. fun, certain little outings that are really fun. Um, it could be that they get to, um, you know, be the boss mm-hmm. for 30 minutes within reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can kind of set those boundaries, but maybe they get to be the boss and, you know, mom and dad have to jump around and look goofy and, you know, make mm-hmm. fools of themselves. And, and maybe that's really rewarding. Mm-hmm. I remember in that refocus room, <laughs> I had a boy come down. He would never do his math or his teacher. And I said, well, I asked, well, what motivates him? And he's like, well, nothing really motivates him. I said, okay. So we sat down in my little kind of like this room. (laughs) And I had a jar of peanuts on my desk. And he's like, just to say, no, 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 yeah. Yeah. But you know, you love those glimmers of days where you're on your game and you're like, okay, I got this. I'll give you one peanut for one question. (laughs) That's such a good tip though, because you're right. We have heard that time and time again, nothing worked for this child. They're not motivated Mm -hmm. by anything. Mm -hmm. And I love that idea of just saying, watch, watch them for Mm -hmm. the next few days or maybe even a few weeks. Who knows how long it will take, Mm -hmm. but see how they're spending their spare time. See what they gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. You're gonna find something. Mm-hmm. And journal but, it so you don't yeah. forget. Yeah. And it, it's gonna shift. Yeah. Right? As yeah. The newest toy comes out, or this movie comes out, or you know, mm-hmm. they stick of the peanuts, right? Yeah. It's gonna shift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like your Pokemon con- cards aren't cool anymore, but yeah. now they're into something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you yeah. always just kind of have to have your detective hat on and be yeah. kind of watching if they're if they're not a kid that's gonna answer the question um honestly and give you mm-hmm. kind of nice and clues and you just kind of got to mm-hmm. uh, sit back and mm-hmm. take a pat on and watch. Yeah. You can say, I see you. Yeah. I see what you're doing. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> Such helpful tips. This yes. has been so fantastic. I want to thank you so much for coming and talking to us about um, these challenging behaviors that some parents have. And we hope that our audience has learned little pieces that can help them. We encourage you to continue to be kind to yourself and know that you're doing the best that you can. And we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Parents Place podcast. If you would like to reach us, you can at parents at the familyplaceutah.org or you can reach Jen on Facebook, Jen Daly the Family Place. Please check out our show notes for any additional information. Our website is thefamilyplaceutah.org if you're interested in any of our upcoming virtual classes. We'd love to see you there.